1: Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed podcast. And I don't think there's much I can be unimpressed about today with Mr. Terry Verts, NASA astronaut Terry Verts. And I hope I'm saying Verts right. Is that how we pronounce Verts, sir?
2: How are you doing? Welcome to the show. Doing good, man. It's good to be here. Uh yeah, Verts works good. And I love that name of this show, Unimpressed, because when you have a chance to go into space, I've got some of my pictures I took on the wall here. It's just hard to be impressed by anything on earth. I mean, I love, you know, I I love earth and there's a lot of cool people down here, but you know, compared to space, um, it's hard to get impressed by like the Kardashians or something.
1: (laughs) Oh, I feel, I feel you there. I talk about all the time about there's a lot we don't know, but a lot of people that are here think they know everything that makes any sense. I mean, there's, there's so many things we don't know about the universe and, and what's going on. And Mm -hmm. are you a spiritual person at all? And, and how does that, Going into space and kind of taking your mind to that level, does that open
2: you up to different thought, a thought process? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but before I went into space, I was a Christian and, and I still am. I think, um, people ask me this all the time, you know, did it change you? Um, cause I kind of felt like I was hearing from God. I was seeing something that humans weren't meant to see when you see these images with your own eyes. Um, I think I'm a lot less of a black and white guy. You know, when I was, when you're young, it's easy to say, you know, this is right and that's wrong. And, and I'm just not that. Uh, black and white anymore? I hope. Anyway, I you know I can see the there's usually multiple sides to an argument. Look, some things are just wrong. There's no doubt about that. But um, many of the issues that we have in life are, are not just those other people are evil and I'm right. And um, I hopefully being in space has taken some of that edge off of me.
1: And do you think that's an understanding of knowledge and uh, dilution of information, if you will?
2: Yeah. So when I I, I, I tell this story a lot. So on my first space shuttle flight, I was in space for two weeks. I landed, had to power the shuttle down, go through my medical tests, got reunited with my family. And I was finally in my hotel room, the astronaut crew quarters, and I turned on CNN. And it was some lady talking about blah, 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 whatever, whatever the, um, the news of the day was in 2010. And I just had to turn it off in a, after about 30 seconds because it was like fingernails on a chalkboard. It was just completely meaningless. You know, a few hours ago, I was seeing this. And then now that I was back on Earth, it was just all of this meaningless noise. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites.
0: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We keep a lot of emotions bundled up inside in life, and sometimes we gotta talk to people. I witnessed the benefits with my own two eyes. I have a close friend that was struggling with depression and felt like she had no one she could consistently talk to because of her busy schedule. She was matched with a therapist through BetterHelp. After several months of sessions, I've seen a tremendous change in her personality and in her life. If you're needing therapy and, and want to get some of those things off your chest, it's entirely online and designed to conveniently work around your schedule and empower you to be the best version of yourself. Just fill out a questionnaire and they will align you with the right therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash unimpressed today to get 10% off your first month. That's
2: BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash unimpressed. And now that we have, you know, we all have these things, right? <laughs> um, there's so much noise in our lives. It's really, I think, valuable and important to just sometimes clear your brain from the noise.
1: Now, before you went to space, obviously your makeup and who you are as a person, I always talk about focus as well. I would imagine your focus
2: was pretty extreme. You know what I'm saying? It has to be, right? Right. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to fly in space. And so that was kind of the goal of my life. I... When I was 13, I read a book called The Right Stuff, which is amazing. It's a great movie. Um, Nat Geo just did a reboot uh, TV series, and it talked about what you need to do to be an astronaut. And so I kind of, from a young age, I followed that um, that path. I was a fighter pilot and then test pilot and then astronaut. So that was kind of my focus. And I left NASA a few years ago, retired, because there were other things I wanted to do in life. And um I kind of already done everything there was to do there. And so I didn't want to just stick around and get old waiting to maybe do the same thing over again. I wanted to go do some other projects, which I'm kind of focused on now. So my focus has changed. But I think that is probably a fair assessment of my personality that I tend to, you know, pursue something until it happens or not.
1: Now, do you walk around the house and want everything
2: perfect? (laughs) I I definitely have a little bit of OCD. And I'm the kind of guy like I'll clean up things immediately. You know, like if I'm cooking, I'll crack the egg and then I'll throw the egg away and then I'll wipe up the mess it made. And then I'll clean. You know, if I open up a bag and pour it in there, I'll clean it up and throw it away and wipe it up. You know, some people are just like, just make the mess and once a week sweep it under the couch. But I have to clean things immediately on the spot. So that that, you know, can make my kids nuts. Um, but the house is always in good shape and I never have to do big, you know, Saturday cleaning because it's always clean. Um, but, yeah, I definitely have that personality.
1: <laughs> well, and you talking about focus, right? So you went through this training and you've done all this training to become this astronaut and you had a, a thought process. And you you spoke about that earlier, about how your mind changed somewhat. Now, when you finally got to space, and you had all this focus did the focus get more intense did it change the way you looked at things after breaking through and seeing space for the first time what when did that really
2: resonate with you and how did you feel and what happened when you see earth so there's a couple thoughts here first of all when you're in space 99% of your time is just work you know like you're cleaning filters you're arranging things you're doing experiments you're unloading cargo ships full of food and supplies and making repairs so 99% of your work is just mundane kind of mechanic or accountant work. And then every once in a while, 1% of your time is spent seeing, the, seeing this, you know, seeing the most beautiful things that you can't even imagine. Um, and so there's this dichotomy. There's this, I call it a juxtaposition between sublime and mundane. I remember, I don't know how many days it was, maybe five, about a week in my first flight, I was looking back at earth and it, it just hit me. Like it really profoundly hit me. Man, well, first of all, That's my planet and I'm not on it. So that's kind of a profound realization. And then second of all, that planet's been around for a long time and it's going to be around for a long time. So whatever is going on in your life is probably not as bad as you think. It's also probably not as good as you think. Things are probably just, you know, steady state. They're going to be okay. There are some big important issues that we have, you got to deal with and there are big things that happen, but. I think a lot of times we get overworked up about something being a disaster or something being the best news of all time. And the reality is usually things aren't as extreme as that. And, you know, when you see the planet, even climate change is something that, you know, I'm concerned about and I want us to, you know, our planet's the only planet we got. There's nowhere else that people are going to live ever. Right. So we we, ha- we got to take care of Earth. But the reality is within a couple hundred years, that problem will be gone because there won't be any more, there won't be any more dinosaurs to burn, right? The, the fossil fuels we're burning are going to dry up within a few centuries. So, um, and the earth's been around a lot longer than that, you know, 10,000 years from now, fossil fuel climate change will be like, oh yeah, that happened a long time ago, but we can't remember that anymore. So I think it puts that time scale, helps your perspective to not get too uptight about things. When you, well,
1: when you talk about Earth and Earth regenerating itself, I've always thought that when you think about the core of Earth, right? And we say we have all these issues and the heat at the core of Earth could really just, you know, get rid of anything that's
2: here now. Oh, one super volcano. Um, right. Or one, one asteroid. Yeah. We can't plan for those. Hopefully those don't happen. I mean, I'm not saying don't pollute. I'm I'm actually starting a, a company that does biomass uh, energy, so I'm 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 a fan of being taking care of what we got. But I am saying, in the big scheme of things, you know, when you think about tens of thousands and millions and billions of years, it it just it kind of takes the edge off of the worry, I guess. Maybe
1: And coming out of this, you know, you're retiring and so forth, your mindset now and in speaking, what is your overall passion and agenda
2: and message? Um, having this mindset. So I've got a few um, different talks that I've given. Um, One of them is with National Geographic. That's been a blast. They have a series called Nat Geo Live. And I've been all over the country and Canada and a few places around the world doing these Nat Geo Lives talks. And they're really fun there. It's part talking about just being in space, what it's like to be in space. It's part showing my pictures that I took. um, And it's part talking about working together with the Russians you know, seeing the, some of the environmental challenges that we have. So it's like a fun live hour and a half talk that I haven't done for a year. And they're just literally last week, I just started getting booked for more Nat Geo live talks later this year. So I'm excited about that. Those are always a lot of fun. The country has this network of performing arts theaters that I never knew about. Like every town in America above 50,000 people, probably, or a hundred thousand people has a performing arts center downtown downtown. And so I go to these things, and sometimes there are a few hundred people, sometimes there are a couple thousand people that come, and that's been a lot of fun. Some other talks that I've done, I do, I do speaking for corporations, and things like risk management um, is really a big deal for banks. Um, I do a guest lecture at the Harvard Business School a couple times a year about the Columbia accident, and uh, it's called Why Businesses Fail which is really good. Um, I've done talks about international leadership and how I did my team building. I've got a, you know, just a bunch of different talks that I've done l- literally on all seven continents over the last few years, which has been fun. Although during COVID I've been sitting here in my office, you know, so, um, which has also been great cause I haven't been home for for I haven't been home in almost a decade, including my space flight. And it's been really nice to just be settled for a year, um, and get to know my house.
1: Now, are these these topics, when you do these speeches, are these what people want you to do? And is this really what's coming from the heart? I mean, like if you is it was totally up to you, is there something coming from the heart that you would you would want to do on your own? Just like free freelance or free whatever you want to
2: call it, free will or whatever. Absolutely. And, and, you know, honestly, I could just give all these talks. I don't even have to write them out. I could just talk about the subject. But it's you got to organize it and have pictures. I always do a lot of pictures because that's my thing. And people like visual. Um, but all of these topics are things that I've seen firsthand. Um, you know how NASA really messed up and killed two space shuttle crews and those lessons can apply to any organization anywhere. How beautiful the planet is, just doing a a slideshow of space pictures, everybody loves. I mean, that's always a hit. Um, Talking about working with the Russians, talking about our environment, talking about having to change and innovation with the new, you know, space has gone from traditional government to private companies and, you know, other industries, the car industry, the movie industry, um, all of those industries, that's been, you know, that's a big topic is being able to change so I can take lessons learned from space. So I really enjoy. Taking things that I've learned just in my career as a fighter pilot and astronaut and then applying them to whatever business or organization they need. So I guess lecture at Harvard. I also do a talk at the USC Film School. Film and TV is kind of my passion. And uh, so I helped make an IMAX movie called A Beautiful Planet. Uh, Tony Myers directed it. Jennifer Lawrence narrated it. And that was like probably the most important thing I did while I was in space. So I, I teach a class there about how to make a movie in space, which is a lot of fun. Um, so it's just fun talking to people about there's a lot of different issues in the world and it's I enjoy speaking.
1: Now you seem very, very calm, patient, or you have to be a very patient person, I would imagine. Um, so you're in space and your schedule, because you touched on your, it's kind of a mundane process, but is, is you, are you doing something, you know, eight hours a day, every minute, 10 right. hours a day, every minute, and when do you have time to rest? Right. So we
2: set our watches to um, GMT, so London time, and we have a, a meeting about 7.30 in the morning, every morning. It's called the DPC, everything's an acronym, uh, the daily planning conference and we'll talk to Houston. We'll talk to Moscow. We'll talk to Japan and Europe and uh, Huntsville, Alabama, which is where the payload folks are. The science is and, uh, you know, they'll tell us, Hey, today you're going to be doing this. Here's a change to your schedule, and then we go. And then we work all day long. They give you an hour or two off throughout the day, maybe for lunch or whatever. And then about seven o'clock at night, you have another DPC, the evening DPC, and that is, okay, today we did this. Hey, I used serial number one zero zero five when I changed out the filter. Um, think about this tomorrow. And then you know 7:30 at night, you're done. And then you go make dinner. What I would do when I was commander, I would take my dinner, put it in a big Ziploc bag and float down to the Russian half of the space station. Uh, and that was a way just to see those guys. So that was one of the highlights of my day was just hanging out with the Russian cosmonauts because otherwise we never saw them. It was very easy for them to do their work on their side and us to do our work on our side. And we, we would never see each other. Um, I would also always have a pocket full of CF cards from the camera, the little, you know, all the images were on these on these little cards. So I would have to download them. And then I would look at them on Picasa. The software we had was Picasa. And I'd, you know, Photoshop them and say, hey, this is a good one. And i I, I didn't tweet it directly. Usually I would email it to a guy from the astronaut office who had my password and then he would post the stuff that I emailed him, you know, a few hours later. So that was kind of my day. And then by the time I was done going through all my pictures, it was midnight or one in the morning and it was time to go to bed and do it again the next day. And every day, every day was the same process. The weekends are a little bit different. On Saturday, they, you have to do cleaning. So they give you a couple hours to like clean the station. Um There's usually one or two procedures. You had like, there was some work to do on Saturday. Sundays were mostly off Sundays. They would schedule us for video calls with our families. So basically zoom calls with your family, um, which is nice, you know, as a way to see them and there's a phone system you could use. So you could call your, your parents or whatever, um, and then get through your emails. And then, and then Monday morning, it was time to wake up and do it all over again. So that was a schedule.
1: And you were in the, y'all were in the same space station with the Russians. Yeah.
2: And it was the same same deal. On my shuttle flight, the, the shuttle crew was all American. But when we got to the ISS, we, we finished building. We put the last two modules on the ISS. There was a Japanese guy, a couple Russians, a couple of Americans. And then when I went back a few years later on my Soyuz, I had a Russian, an Italian, and me. And then we joined a crew of Americans and Russians. So I was in space with Americans, Italians, Japanese, and Russians.
1: Now, And what do you think about the future based on your experience now, you know, the government started space force, And you know some companies have have sent their you know module whatever you call it to space to operate, help operate their businesses here on Earth. What do you what do you think about the future of space and this
2: Space Force? Well, Space Force is an interesting thing. I actually wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post a couple years ago promoting Space Force, and I've done some speaking about that. Um, I think it was a good idea at the time, and I still think it's a good idea. The problem (laughs) the problem with a lot of things over the last few years is you know when Donald Trump had an idea. Half the people thought it was good, regardless of what it was. And half the people thought it was the devil, regardless of what it was. And Space Force is one of those. It's really a nonpartisan issue. It's just it made sense. Um, I also believe that we should have a cyber force because the military has lots of people that do space stuff. They launch rockets. They operate satellites. um, They try and defend them. You know, The Chinese have a weapon that blew up a satellite back in 2007, created this giant cloud of debris, And I had to maneuver the station when I was commander in 2015 to avoid getting hit by the debris that the Chinese had created eight years before. Um, So Space Force has a really important mission, you know, uh, and the kind of people that launch rockets and operate satellites are not the kind of people that fly F-16s or are infantrymen or drive boats. Right. That's a unique kind of person. And in the same way, um, cyber the kind of computer nerds out there are not the kind of people who do those other things either. So I think the military really should have five um, basic services, air, land, sea, space, and cyber, because those are, we call that the organized train and equip function. Um, Each one has just a different kind of person. And when it, hopefully we don't, but when it does come time to fight, they all work together. That's called the joint force. But in peacetime, you should organize train and equip, As individuals, it's why we have an Air Force and not an Army Air Corps like we used to have in World War II. Mm -hmm. Well, you're
1: the first person that's ever mentioned cyber because I've, I've thought about what we do. We have a massive online network. I think we're at like 40 million and and it's going, we just partnered with Facebook um, because Facebook's going to a MCN model. So we eventually may have 10,000 creators and so forth that are under our wing. And that could be a couple hundred million people. But when you think about it, you know, when you think when or when I think about the Internet, I think it's it's almost like a second Earth. It's almost like land that hasn't really been claimed. I mean, is that kind of your thought process? And it needs to be governed to some extent.
2: Yeah. Well, outer space has the outer space treaty in the 60s. There was a couple there's a the moon treaty and the outer space treaty. And, you know, basically America and the Soviet Union and all of our satellite countries got together and, and said, hey, let's keep space peaceful. You know, don't put weapons of mass destruction in orbit. Um, you know, if you go to the moon, make sure it's for peaceful purposes and so on. Um, NASA has these new things called the Artemis Accords uh, that that came about under the Trump administration and they're bilateral agreements. So they're they're just one on one treaties, which is how Trump liked to do foreign policy. He liked to do one on one deals, not multilateral deals. But it's trying to make um, commercial rights Codified. So, if some company goes to the moon or an asteroid and they find iron or some, or lithium or whatever, some valuable chemical, they can actually own it, you know, and profit from it. And that's an, to encourage space commerce, which is generally a good idea. It has to be regulated. But I think that's a good idea. So, you do have to have these agreements so that um, you know a company can profit from it. Otherwise, like drugs, if why would pharmaceutical company X? spend a billion dollars developing a drug if they couldn't make any money from it. So so you have to have some rules in place to let companies profit if they're going to explore it. But to your point about cyber, like how important is the Internet to your organization? I mean, I mean,
1: I mean, I talk I give my daughter a hard time about being on her phone every day because I just want her to be aware of it, you know, because I think there needs to be better management um, for our kids. Um, But yes, I mean,
2: I'm profiting off the Internet and that's that's how we've built our whole business. Amen. I mean, everybody does, right? The Air Force, by the way, what your daughter suffers from and what I suffer from, the Air Force has an acronym. They call it continuous partial attention, CPA. And it's so true. Everybody just goes around, "Uh uh-huh. Right. Okay, I see what you're saying, and you're just checking your email or whatever your text message as well, or your or your TikTok, and that drives me crazy. Well, (laughs) Well, you should be talking to some some somebody else, yeah. So continuous partial attention. Um, but the point is, like, you you wouldn't have a media company with all these millions and billions of views without the internet. Well, the military is connected in important ways. You know, my my Chase and Bank of America and Wells Fargo, whatever, who, whatever you bank with wouldn't happen without the internet. I mean, the economy would shut down without the internet and it's so vulnerable. And we see this with these Russian hacks. You know, the Russia just hacked us horribly a couple months ago. China on a daily basis is trying to steal secrets from companies. My friends own businesses. They hire top security guys. And he's like, yeah, today we had 30, you know, attacks from China. And it's such an important domain. And, you know, you can shut down the russians got into the ukrainian power grid and shut it down like 5 or 6 or 7 years ago when they were having the civil war and you could really mess with someone via cyber and the and the, the armed services the air force i was i did a little bit of time in air force cyber command as like a consulting thing and I, all I can say is cyber is really important and the Air Force has their cyber people. The Navy has Navy cyber command. The Army has Army cyber command. And I, I think it would make more sense to just have a cyber force, put all those computer nerds in one branch and then think about the recruiting. I mean, when you go to Texas A&M or MIT or wherever and you go, Hey, we have a cyber force. That would be an attractive thing for a 21 year old, the top 21 year olds to go join. Um, versus, well, you're just going to be a normal army guy or a normal air force guy. That's not as, I, I think you could attract and recruit and retain better if you had a cyber force.
1: Oh, well, you would have more people who would want to jump for that opportunity. I would think in, in this I, day and time. I would think
2: so too. Yeah, absolutely.
1: How about the narrative? You know, cause I think we generalize things a lot. And when we say like, You're in a space station with Russians and other countries. When you say the Russians cyber attack this or uh, the Japanese cyber attack this. Now, we generalize that statement. Now, are some of these pirates, you know, outside of government or is a lot of a government?
2: You know, I think there's some of each. Um, I had <laughs> I had a fake Twitter account set up by the Russians over during the election. My normal site, my normal Twitter and Instagram is Astro Terry, and um, they set up an Astro Terry Verts account. It was the same picture, same everything, and it was it was like super right wing, pro Trump stuff. So somebody set up an account, you know, trying to promote Trump. I mean, there was tens of thousands of these things, but I had the experience where personally, I got. Not hacked, but I got replicated by, you know, they think it was Russians. Who knows who? It was? Maybe it was some teenager in Iceland or somebody in Argentina. Who, who, who knows? But at the end of the day, governments are actively involved. You can see certain cyber fingerprints on operations of, you know, code and methods and techniques. And, you know, we. I think the agencies that are involved can't really divulge, well, we saw this because of this. Well, now they know what we're looking for and they'll change what they do the next time. So... The cyber world is a real tough um, thing to handle publicly. Like, do you admit that so- you see something because then they know that you see it? Sometimes you you don't want to make it public. You just want them to stay there. So they are fat, dumb and happy and don't realize that, you know, that they're there. Um, do you re-attack them? Well, you can do some damage, but then they can learn from that and they can protect it the next time. Or do you save that attack for when you really need it? You know, so it's a very tricky world and America's at the disadvantage because first of all, we're the big dogs. We have the most infrastructure at, at risk, right? In space, we're definitely the most um, vulnerable because all of our assets are in space. And so just somebody with one anti-satellite weapon could really hurt us. Um, and it's harder for us to fight back because then people will, will learn our ways and, you know, then you can't use that Technique the next time you need it.
1: Now, what do you think about these companies like Amazon going to space? And in is was five G to me. I thought five G was more important for that that they could run their businesses from space. And what they talked about here, the five G, you know, it was kind of a distraction because they haven't really talked about these companies in space a lot. Uh, what do you What do you think about that? And is that true,
2: or am I off base there? Well, I th- honestly there there are several um, mega constellations of satellites the one of them the most famous one's probably starlink cuz spa- spacex is launching their starlink constellation and it's already providing internet access and that's really good for remote places like alaska or ships over the pacific ocean or you know for people who are remote they don't have cable they don't have you know cell phone towers within a mile um, the, those starlink constellations are great the problem is we're putting tens of thousands of satellites in space And they don't have a good plan that I know of, and I could be wrong because I don't work for them, but there's not any regulation as to how these things get deorbited and brought back to Earth. And so... If these satellites just die and they lose control and they're just tumbling out of control, um, that can really lead to problems and creating future clouds of debris. And they can make, you know, big parts of orbit not usable because it's just full of this cloud of out-of-control debris. And you can't go clean it up very easily. There was a company that just launched a satellite a week or two ago from Russia um, that was going to test uh, debris cleanup technology. But that's a tough nut to crack because all of these small pieces of debris are flying around at miles per second. I mean, they're going really fast and they're going in different directions and, you know, you can't just go clean them up. So the, these big constellations you're talking about there Starlink is like 10,000 satellites. Um, airbus has one. Uh, there's a couple other constellations. That's a lot of debris that's going to, and, and once it happens, unless you're at like a hundred miles up or really low altitude, but these things are up at 300, 500, a thousand miles up. Th- that debris is never coming back to earth. The, The atmosphere doesn't extend that far to put drag on these things and bring them back down to earth. So it's there forever. We're literally creating. So we're, we're polluting the universe. It's there forever. That, that is the gift that keeps on giving. Another reason the space station has to maneuver every year besides the Chinese weapons test and maybe an Indian weapons test. India did an anti-satellite test a little over a year ago, which was an awful idea. And they did it up at an altitude that it could threaten the station, Um, there was a Russian satellite that died, went out of control and it ran into, um, an iridium satellite, which is a satellite phone, uh, satellite. Boom. And now there's 10,000 little pieces of iridium and the Russian satellite that are flying around in low earth orbit every once in a while, a couple times a year, the station has to maneuver to avoid it. Um, so, you know, the movie gravity was about this idea of, they call it the Kistler effect of the cascading debris problem. And, um, I hope we don't ever get there because if we do, we're going to make orbit not usable. It's going to make climate change <laughs> pale in comparison. So why doesn't NASA have control over these guys like Elon Musk and these guys? NASA is not a regulatory agency. It's an exploration agency. Um, and so there's no space FAA. What we need is a FAA in space. We need a SAA, right? Or whatever. Um or there's no coast guard in space. And, and this is one of the problems. Like right now that, uh, regulatory. Uh, responsibility falls to the commerce, commerce department or in some, and sometimes it falls to the FAA for launch and landing stuff in space falls to the commerce. Other stuff in space falls to the FCC. These Starlink satellites are regulated by the FCC, the federal communicate. The same people that make sure you can't say the F word on TV or whatever, you know, are the ones who are regulating these satellites. So, um, basically launch them as fast as you can before any government agency regulates it. And just cause America regulates it doesn't mean that other countries are going to have to regulate it. So in America, we have the FAA for our airplanes, but globally, there's this thing called ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization. And that's why we can fly to Paris. And when you land in Paris, you say, you know, United one two three five uh, five mile final. And they'll say you're clear to land. In other words, they say the same words everywhere on earth in English because of this ICAO. And there's not an ICAO to do global space regulation. And we need that badly. The, the consequences are space is a mess and we can't use it anymore. And that's not a future that anybody wants. Well, that's not a future that the developed countries of the world want. Um, it's a future that would, you know, bring us back down to the level of undeveloped country.
1: Now, do you is this a topic you speak on? Do you get to speak on this this topic? Because I don't hear this this knowledge being put out in the community.
2: I, it's sadly missing. Um, I, I bring it up when I'm on a program like this. But um, I have, you know, I've, I've had an op ed in my brain for a few months. And there's a guy um, in England. Actually, he's a British Ph.D. And he started a company uh, to provide to use lasers to power to give electricity to satellites in when it's nighttime um but he his phd is in space debris so he and i have been brainstorming um how to how to write this op-ed but i've had too many other things going on i haven't written it yet
1: we'll go to something maybe a little lighter but i think that's very very interesting and and i think people need to pay attention to what you're talking about a lot more because it's uh we we're polluting the earth and now we're
2: going to pollute space so we uh we haven't learned much as a human being i guess you know, the lesson learned is, you know, make the money as fast as you can. And unfortunately, that's not a good way to treat your kids and your grandkids.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's um, the you kids. Yeah. For them. Yeah. Well, yeah. What's going to be left for the kids? Um, um, so talking about 2000, this was, I think, 2015 and you being a, a film buff, TV buff. Uh, the Leonard Nimoy thing got a little attention. Uh, yeah. uh, you gave
2: the gave the sign. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah. So we had three spacewalks that week. Uh, it was really busy. And a spacewalk is like lots of work to prepare for. The day itself is a lot of work. It's a big deal. So on the night before the third spacewalk, so we were wiped out and we got another spacewalk tomorrow. I get this email from NASA Public Affairs that says, hey, Terry, um, Leonard Nimoy passed away. You know, Mr. Spock died. Can you do something? And I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't have any time. So I thought, you know what? I'll just go do the live long and prosper sign. So I went down to the cupola, which is this big seven windowed area that I installed on my first shuttle flight. And I fiddled, you got, I had a flash to to get my hand exposed and the earth exposed and you have to adjust the aperture to get everything in focus. And I got this picture and I emailed it to that guy back on earth. And I said, Hey, just post this. No, no, nothing. Just post the picture, nothing else. And it got so much attention. It was really cool. It was a really cool, um, tribute to Mr. Spock. And I, it was great. It wasn't me, but a lot I think a lot of people are whenever I speak, hey, has anybody ever seen this? And everybody raises their hand. No one has any idea it was me. It was about Leonard Nimoy. But the really cool thing about that, if you look, I don't have the picture, I don't know if you can call it up, but um you know, in in the background behind my hand, you can see Long Island and you see this little fish hook and that's um oh, Massachusetts, man. right? It's Cape Cod. Yeah, there you go. You gotta call look at that, you got call it called up. So it's hard to see on the screen, but if you Google it, you'll find it. Um you can see Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and he's from Boston. Uh, in fact, somebody just emailed me an article this week that there's a museum in Boston that's going to make a statue of that in honor of Leonard Nimoy, and they, they had my picture uh, in their museum, so that was pretty cool. Yeah,
1: that's yeah, that's real cool. Um, so going to going to the book "How to Astronaut: An Insider's Guide to Leaving Planet Earth."
2: I book. I got it here.
1: <laughs> cool. Cool. Tell us a little bit about what
2: journey you're taking us on in the book. So the goal for the book was to write a collection of short essays that were very readable, that were for men and for women, for young and old. You know, it's not for space nerds, it's for just anybody um, and make them readable. My goal was to make you say, wow, and laugh. Those were the, the two reactions that I wanted to get from folks and I, I wanted it to be something you could you know read by the pool read a chapter each chapter is short you know 3 4 pages maybe 10 pages um it's a collection of 51 essays and uh you know a lot, that was interesting like some some of the chapters are things that you would expect like how do you do emergencies on the space shuttle how do you get in a spacesuit um what how important is exercise in space just the the standard things that you would expect uh, some of the chapters are things you probably wouldn't expect. Um, I talk about cutting kind of setting up a hairdresser salon for my female crewmate, Samantha Um, You know, what do you do with a dead body if your crewmate dies? Uh, what do you do with her body? Um, are Did there, that ever uh, happen to you? Uh, uh, thank God I'm knocking on my fake wood um that has not happened there has been obviously space accidents but it hasn't happened in orbit you know but you know what people you know the warranties expired (laughs) yeah and if enough people fly for enough time it's going to happen and Mm -hmm. so um it's uh, anyway so the the point is it's it's kind of a collection of stuff you'd expect stuff you wouldn't expect and hopefully you'll laugh and say wow that was my goal
1: nice so what uh what's your passion film project outside. I know you done, you said you did the IMAX or anything right. that's a current passion film project. Yeah.
2: Well, I got to direct my first film It came out last year. It's called One More Orbit. Um, it was a project. There's the, my, the, the jet right there. We flew a jet around the world to set a world record f- for circumnavigating the globe over the North and South pole. Um, and so it's about, uh, basically comparing what it's like to orbit in an airplane with what it's like to orbit in a spaceship. Uh, we talk about the environment, I brought one of my Russian cosmonaut crewmates, Gennady Padalka, He's the human with the most time ever in space. He's been in space for 879 days. Um, So we we had a blast and I like I got to direct it. I mean, like I wrote the script and figured out the story and I had a bunch of different, you know, cinematographers working. It was a really fun project for me. So I kind of fell in love with that and I want to direct in the future. And I've got a few different TV shows in work. Um, one of them would be for me as a to be a presenter of like technology. So each episode would be about self-driving cars or some green energy technology or some medical technology each episode will just be a an episode about technology and i and i would be the presenter um i've got an idea that i had a couple hours of meetings today that is is really exciting and i really 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 hope this work happens the networks are excited about it um a show about guide dogs because uh, i'm a big supporter of guide dogs for the blind and so a show about golden retrievers and labs and how they help people um and there's just infinite endless stories there to tell um there's another uh, show that I've got in work about a space. You know, there's all these cook-off cooking shows, and we've, we've got an idea for one um, that's pretty cool, too, that uh, I had meetings yesterday about that one. So I've got these different ideas. Um, I actually just wrote a screenplay for a like an eight-part, ten-part series. So we'll see where it goes. But yeah, I, I love doing these things and telling stories, and that's how... It, it came down to when I was leaving NASA, like, how am I going to impact people? Um, do I run for office and, you know, I could be a Republican or a Democrat and I could spend half my day calling people asking for money. And then the other half of my day convincing people how evil the other people are. Um, or I could get into this world of writing and doing film and TV projects. And so that's, I just decided that was probably a better use of my time.
1: Now, does an an astronaut have, um, Hollywood representation?
2: I, I have a manager. Yeah. Her name is Meredith, um, Emmanuel. She's actually based in in Australia. Under normal circumstances, she spends a lot of her time in the States, Um, but uh, she's been stuck in Australia for the last year. And well, in 2019, I was in LA every month for the whole year making that movie One More Orbit. And then in 2020, I hadn't been there. I haven't been there in over a year now, you know, so things kind of change. But Meredith kind of handles all my stuff. Meredith Emanuel.
1: Okay. So you you don't deal with any agencies or ICM or anybody like that at all? Maybe in the future.
2: Right now, no... um, um, we had a meeting, uh, oh my God, who's the big one. Uh, it wasn't WME. It was, uh, the big one. Oh, William Mars, CAA. CAA. Yeah. Or UTA. Um, yeah. It wasn't William Mars. It was CAA. So we, we went to their big shiny headquarters in Beverly Hills. And, um, so we'll see if I, I think if these projects actually happen, then I'll probably need that. Um, but for now, Meredith is handling all my stuff. ICM is our
1: agent that's why I asked him I'm pretty I'm pretty close with the guys who who okay. run the agency I was okay. just wondering cuz I just think there's so much creativity in your mind and and in yeah. telling stories from a, a different direction and you know in speaking of that was there a certain IQ you needed to have to be an astronaut?
2: <laughs> Whatever it was, I think I had the minimum. I always laugh. I think, <laughs> like when I got into the Air Force Academy, I'm sure I was the last guy they accepted. Uh, Cause I heard about it really late and I'm, my astronaut class had 17 people and I was probably number 17 that they picked. Um, you know my, my philosophy is if the men wasn't good enough it wouldn't be the men
1: <laughs> so they don't
2: they don't disclose that to you they test you for oh, it no. but don't disclose it you have no idea if you were number one or number 17 um, you don't get any feedback hey when you did your interview this was good but this wasn't bad if you don't get picked you don't get any feedback mm-hmm. they just tell you no it's kind of this big secret at least it was they just hired a class after I left they hired a class I'm not sure if they told those guys anything but it used to be a very uh, you know kind of secret society thing. How do actors get picked for movies, right? Yeah. How do screenplays get picked up? Yeah. 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 A lot of variables,
1: a lot of variables could be a pattern of business, could be a talent that is, you just know is talented. I think there's certain talents in Hollywood. I mean, I know there's the pattern of business where you do business with this guy, and you just continue that path, yeah. but I do think there are certain talents that just supersede all of that. And right. the in the the people who are running the business and industry, they recognize that pretty quickly. Right. Um, and, and a guy uh, like
2: Tom Hanks or Morgan Freeman, or you know, yeah, there's no doubt that's a special person, yeah. and they're they're gonna you know they're they're gonna make it regardless. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with relationships. You know, who do you know and If you do one project successfully, then you'll probably do lots more projects. And yeah,
1: your mind and your thought process and your calmness and your makeup. Those are things that interest me, you know, just, you know, with environment. You know how environment drives society and so forth. Now, were they similar personality as you? Did they like push the best to the best? And they all kind of have a similar thought process or
2: similar makeup, or were they different? Um, There are definitely differences, but at the end of the day, everybody has to be able to say, "Look, we're on a crew and we're on this mission, and you 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 have to have some ability to work as a team." Um, But there's definitely a degree of selfishness that goes along with being an astronaut, Um, and. You know, one of the things that I would talk to the younger guys about is I would always say it's it's good. You need to be a little bit lazy. If you want to be a successful space commander, you have to be a little bit lazy because some guys would be super uptight. Their entire careers, they've never gotten anything other than a 4.0 GPA. Every job they ever had, they were number one, you know, ranked, whatever. They were the first person promoted to whatever. And when i looked at resumes for astronauts that kind of person always made me a little bit nervous because when they got to nasa they had to, everything had to be their way they would create these conflicts and you have to realize that you're on the international space station it's a giant bureaucracy i mean it is the huge bureaucracy it's a giant battleship that you might be able to turn one or 2 degrees but you're not going to turn it 90 degrees while you're a commander so you have to be able to go look guys it is what it is let's change this one thing here maybe something else but we're not going to you know change everything in my six-month mission, because six months later, someone else is going to want to do it. So you have to be able to say, you know, don't worry, be happy and just take accept the things that you need to accept and work on the one or two things that you think you can change. Um but the the folks that were always the number one top smartest of whatever, I think they 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 tended to struggle because NASA is such a bureaucracy. And it's not only NASA, it's Russia and Europe and Japan. And it's like a bureaucracy of bureaucracies. And so the really fast burner guys, we called them the air force, I, I think struggle and they tend to piss a lot of people off. <laughs> yeah. Um, those, those are, those guys don't have the most success. You wouldn't want Steve jobs to be on your crew at NASA. He would just make everybody miserable and his crew miserable. You don't want a lot of NASA people trying to start Apple. Cause they're not, you know, they're they're Those are two different skill sets. Um, And you gotta, you gotta make sure you have the right guy. If you're going to start Apple, you need somebody who can kick ass, right? But if you're going to work with this team from different countries and stuff, you need somebody that's going to be calm and be able to work with people and not get too uptight about things. So, um, it kind of depends on what you're trying to do.
1: Now, do you, do you have any
2: content that you own that you haven't put out to the world? Uh, well, these shows are contents that we're, we're making, um, I've got a new book. I wrote a book uh, in in COVID. It's a kid's book. It's asking astronaut 100 questions. So it's sort of like How to Astronaut, only for kids. Uh, and I turned the first draft in. I'm waiting on notes so I can turn the final manuscript in. So between the TV... I, oh, I'm another project I did, and I'm really excited about this. Um, I made a short film uh, with a lady, Yannicka Mickelson, and I made this short film last year called Cosmic Perspective. And we were going to just make a teaser to pitch it to be a TV show, but we're like, let's just make a short film and we'll enter it in short film competitions. But it's about space photography, the history of space photography and Voyager and the moon probes and the Mars probes and the Hubble and astronaut photography and Apollo and, you know, even early airplanes. So we're, we're just going to talk about how space photography has changed our perceptions about everything. And I really hope that gets picked up um, right now. And in my mind, it's an eight part, uh, you know, limited series. Um, so anyway, so I'm hoping that that short film that I made um, and Canon actually helped me sponsor it. They promoted it at the um, CES a couple months ago. Uh, so that was really cool to have Canon help back me on that movie. But hopefully it does get made into... Uh, a, sh- a series. That's one of the other shows I'm trying to pitch right now.
1: <laughs> well, the reason I asked that, I, I came up with this thing and we're working with Travis Mills. Um, he was the, the soldier in Afghanistan who uh, an IED blew off both his legs, both his arms. And I came up with this thing called uh, the micro moments of relatability. So the re- micro moments of Travis Mills. So it's like him and his daughter having breakfast or lunch and his son, and he's talking to them about confidence. Right. And it's a three minute episode. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's something we could do with you. I mean, it's uh, we have a massive reach and this thing with uh, Facebook is is we're direct with Facebook. Now we're one of thirty five companies in the world. And, you know, we can get brands out there uh, pretty quick and we're one of 15 companies in the US. So maybe that's something to look at down the road. And if that ever strikes your interest. That would, you know, having an astronaut for content would be a very, very good thing to do.
2: That would be really cool. I could talk, you know, I've got all these different stories that you can read about and, you know, how to astronaut or the first book I did was the National Geographic Photography book called View from Above. Um, Yeah, I could just talk about some of those lessons learned and wisdom, nuggets of wisdom. You know, I don't know if I. I don't think we've talked about this. I'm, I'm actually starting a podcast.
1: Okay, uh, nice.
2: It's called Down to Earth with Terry Virts. In fact, this studio I'm in right now, I built... Uh, I went to Ikea and bought the shelf and to put some of my space, uh, I got my, you know, my, my webcam and I've got my, my microphone and, um, it's talking about what matters on planet earth. So every week it's somebody different. Um, I've had a couple of astronomy and space guys on, I had a, the first guy was an environmental, he runs an environmental organization. Um, I had the CEO of guide dogs for the blind on, which gave me the idea for this TV show. Um, uh, I've got a Navy SEAL coming on next week. Um, just really cool. Very uh, a guy that developed a malaria vaccine. So every week it's somebody different. Um, I think I'm going to have one of the Trump administration officials who was like the first guy that recognized that COVID was going to be a problem. And he was, you know, banging his beating his head against the wall while everyone was ignoring him for a few months. So anyway, I'm just talking to interesting people. So that's maybe, maybe there's something there.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's kind of like I do. I like I want to go a different route and like teach people something. You know, I don't want to feed the beast. I want to leave something where there's knowledge and information that people can listen to and actually get something from it and not be this you know divisive political opinion or whatever it is. I I think that's so overdone. You know, we need to teach our kids a lot more, and I I think that's a your podcast. That's a great route to go. Absolutely. So well, I mean, we've been on here about an Hour, I don't want to keep you all day, but I appreciate the time and I appreciate the knowledge. And we we have all your contact information, and we'll mm-hmm. we'll digest that, you know, the content thing, and then we'll reach back out.
2: Yeah, that sounds great. Um, I'm that's kind of the phase of life I'm in, and um, I'm I'm in a situation where uh, speaking kind of died this year, but it's coming back, and that has allowed me to not have to go work full time at, you know, a big aerospace contractor or something like that. It's given me time to write a few books and do a few movies and do these creative things that, that I want to do. So it'd be fun to, yes, see what we can collaborate on.
1: Awesome. Well, I want to thank astronaut Terry Virts for coming on the show. I'm John edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions.